Welcome to today's episode of Fire in the Belly. This is where we get to hear some pretty inspiring stories from some amazing people. You know, it's always an absolute pleasure to sit down, take time out and have a warts and all conversation about their journey. I'm always intrigued by what it's taken for people to get to where they are today. And hopefully in this interview, we get to hear some more about that. From this, my mission is to help people to find their own fire in their belly. And from that, to live the mightiest version of you. So without further ado, sit back, relax, and enjoy today's guest. Success is a process, not an event. Hello and welcome to Fire in the Belly. Today we have myself, Mighty Pete, and we have the Jeff Finney. Good morning. Good morning, good morning. How are you doing, Pete? Okay, listen, Jeff, great to have you on. Thank you so much for coming on today. You're calling all the way from well, the other side of the Atlantic anyway. So tell us, Jeff, where are you calling from? Who are you and what do you do? Well, we're, uh, you know, I'm calling or we're in here at Tulsa, Oklahoma. Uh, kind of in the middle, lower middle of the U.S. And um, on a very cold day, woke up this morning to a couple inches of ice, and which is odd for Oklahoma. But then tomorrow you may wake up and it's going to be, you know, 80 and 100 mile an hour wind. So <laughs> that's just the way it is. But, yeah, so I'm uh, down here in Oklahoma. I've been uh, running, a, I run a cabinet shop here in my local area. Um, we do all sorts of different types of business, but think of, you know, kitchen cabinets. That's what our final product ends up being. Um, and I've been doing that since about 2005. And right now we, you know, we started in my garage, uh, back in 2005 and have grown it to a business that has a little over 50 employees, um, a couple of facilities and, and still just, uh, still just rocking and rolling. Wow. What's your passion, Jeff? You know, <clears throat> that's a great question. Um, my passion is honestly is my, my everyday focus, like where I, where I go to when I start work is it always revolves around some type of efficiency or automation. It's just kind of where my head naturally goes to. And, um, that's usually what's reflected in my business. You know, I'm usually working on some kind of efficiency project or automation project, um, pretty much on a daily basis. Well, and when you say efficiency, I mean, do you mean, sort of business or mechanical efficiencies or business efficiencies. So are we talking? Yeah. So, so I do, you know, I, I like to do both uh, process efficiency as far as, you know, cause we build stuff. We, we start with raw goods and we finish with a, a product. So there's a lot of uh, inherent waste in that, in that uh, process. So we, we try to make it as efficient as possible, but then my recent focus has been more on operational efficiency in the office, you know, things like, um, you know, from invoicing to payroll and just all the little clicking, you know, button clicking on a computer and just little efficiencies all the way down to that. That's, that's where I lay a lot of focus at just trying to take care of a lot of those, trying to compile those redundancies into automatic um, events that, you know, you don't have to keep, you don't have to do over and over and over. Well, what's, what's the thrill there, Jeff? I mean, is, is it the, is it saving money? Is it saving time? Is it reducing waste? I think it's the waste component. You know, I, I never did start down this Avenue from a money perspective. Um, I've always found that, or for me anyway, you know, if I try to start something just purely from a money perspective, it just doesn't seem to stick. And that may just be how I'm wired, but the efficiency, um, for me, it, it turns into money eventually if it's done right. But for me, it's hundred percent waste because, uh, you know, when I started learning about waste and how to take care of it, uh, one of the earliest things I heard from somebody say, you can't unsee waste, you know, and that's the truth because when you see it in your business, it's just like something that eats at you constant. 
and you just have to kind of get it taken care of. You know, if you don't get it taken care of, it's just going to constantly be on your mind. So you just, you can't unsee the waste. And what, what is it with businesses? I mean, are they just naturally inefficient? Is it just naturally it's, it's a waste process unless you choose otherwise or. Yeah, it, it seems to be, you know, and I don't, and, and in manufacturing seems to amplify that, but I don't think it has to be just a manufacturing business that has inherent waste, but a manufacturing business seems to have it on display because we have so many processes, you know, at one time. And for some reason, it seems like there, our brains are set up more uh, naturally just to do kind of a batch and queue is what we call it. So you make, if you have a process that requires three steps, well, you do all of process one, all of process two, and all of process three to get your final product. And, you know, if you've got a hundred pieces at each process, then you're going to do all hundred and then you do all hundred to the next one. And really what we find is, is reducing batch sizes, reducing quantities, uh, increases your overall efficiency and increases your speed. And we've proved it over and over and over. And, you know, it's called lean manufacturing, but those same principles apply to everything down to your just everyday life, as far as how you make your coffee in the morning or how you organize your kitchen, just little things like that. You know, it's, you can apply lean thinking and principles, uh, down to just everything you do in life. So it's, I don't know why our brains seem to be wired to want to do things in bulk. Uh, but that's the way it is. And it's, um, it's just got a lot of waste built into it. So it's, it's kind of hard starting this, uh, when you're in business, it's kind of hard starting this program of, of lean thinking because your brain just naturally wants to kind of hoard and, and make big piles of things, you know, what, what is it you think? I mean, is it, is it the, you know, is it, as you say, it's botching, is it botching efficiencies or is it, you know, just repetitive things? It's like, if, if we know how to do that, then if we do it lots of times then that's better, right. Or. Well, yeah, kind of. So batching is, batching is, um, is something that we do. We do it in, in office work. We do it in, in manufacturing processes. We do it in everything. Basically, if we've got a stack of work to do, it's, if it's got five steps to it, you know, it's better to do one, one thing at a time, all the way through those five steps, a hundred times, rather than doing it a hundred times through each step. So it's, you'll end up being significantly more efficient at the end of the day. If you just do it all the way through, you know, all five steps each time. So, um, there's a lot of, a uh, lot of different YouTube videos out there. You can watch about lean manufacturing and lean offices and things like that. And, um, a lot, a lot of places to learn about the individual steps, but but basically the, the long and the short of it is you're trying to eliminate waste, which ultimately adds customer value. You know, that's, that's what we make it our goal. And that's how we present it to our shop floor employees, just so they understand that, you know, the reason we're doing this is not necessarily to make money. We're doing it to increase customer value. The customer's paying for a cabinet or a door or something like that. You know, they're paying for a physical something. They're not paying for all the waste in between. It takes to get it from a sheet good to a cabinet. So there's, you know, if you look at it from that perspective of we need to add customer value, it makes it real easy to identify waste in a process. Mm. I suppose in, in nowadays when little efficiencies are, are you know, that really contributes or, or deducts from, you know, fairly tight profit margins, right? You know, the, right. Yeah. That little, especially, especially in manufacturing, you're competing with so many other people that are doing similar to what you're doing. So if you you can do it with, less people in less time. We're all buying our materials for about the same price, you know? So that's not really a factor that you can 
um, get better on maybe a point or two one way or the other, but, um, you know, every, every shop is going to be buying them about the same as we are. So you've got to be better operationally and, and service wise than, than the guy down the street to, to ultimately win. So that's the, and, and, you know, I started this process probably five or six years ago in my business started really to realize that it, we had to get more efficient to be more competitive. And, and it started this whole process of me kind of firing myself, um, getting out, getting myself out of the way of the, the employees and let them do what they do. And, and ultimately we, we was able to gain efficiency, just like in huge strides rather than just me pushing every one of these individual efforts. And that, that's massive, isn't it? Really? The fact that you can, you know, you can make these strides forwards. I mean, cause change, change in any organization is always challenging, typically expensive. Yeah takes a lot of time. So, I mean, if you can do those in, in a relatively short period of time, that's, that's big success, right? Oh yeah. Huge success. So it's, um, you know, we, we noticed a lot of pushback at first and, and we continued to get pushback, but then once we got a couple of small systems, um, fixed, uh, it, it seemed to be easier the next time we wanted to change something. So we kind of see waste in the system. And then now what's happening is the actual employees themselves see waste in the system and they, they kind of fix it themselves. So they, they know it's okay to just try and fail as long as they're trying. So, um, as long as they're kind of failing forward, that's, uh, that's, that's the key right there. So, you know, if they do something wrong now, they know that they've done something wrong, that they haven't eliminated waste. So they just go back to the old way and then they try something new. And it's that that's been a great, that's been a lot of fun to watch the actual employees, kind of switch their mentality and and now it's just kind of part of our culture is that key to have the employees on board i mean does it- oh yeah it's the only way you can do it because you're you know as the owner it, it has to be a top-down deal you know the owner has to live it and breathe it you know they have to make it part of their daily routine so everybody else sees what that owner is doing you know or the lead person in your organization you know it has to they have to kind of live it and breathe it but if they do, then your employees will eventually follow. If you just continue to keep going down that path and you allow them, allow your employees, you know, that rope it takes to, um, you know, to actually make change, to try some of their own ideas. It can't just be you dictating that change. It's more of you just initiating it from like, Hey, we should look at this process and see what we can do about it. You know, or is there any waste in it or something? You, you may see the waste, you may see exactly where to go, but it's better to let them, you know, have their shot at fixing it. So it's, it's a really tough step to make as an owner, especially for me, you know, I used to be a pretty bad micromanager. I used to be kind of right over everybody, you know, and I just got to the point where that didn't, that wasn't my personality. I just, I I would rather not be in business anymore than be that kind of person. So we just, we had to figure out a different way to run. I mean, that's interesting. It's come to that. It's, it almost, it sounds like that change or that realization came through, frustration through lack through you know yeah. almost the, the the fact that you couldn't continue on the, the path that you were on so you had to change right oh yeah yeah it's it's most definitely that way it gets to the point as an owner uh you know we got to a point in our business several years ago where i just i was maxed out i had too many hats i was still you know physically working on the shop floor you know cutting out pieces and parts off machines you know when somebody wouldn't be at work that day, I'd fill in for them, just all the little things that owners do. And it just got to the point where the business was suffering, uh, because the business was inherently inefficient because there's so many processes that relied on me individually to do. So 
once I kind of figured that out that I needed to get the heck out of the way, um, it, it all started to line up really quickly. What advice would you have for businesses that are sort of maybe there are finding that that they're stuck in the business, not on the business? Yeah, that's, that's huge. So, you know, for me, um, I did what, you know, what I call firing myself and, and, and of course, you know, we'll talk about it later a little bit, but I've got my new book out called that's it on fired. And it's basically that, you know, just laying out the processes that I use because I was that business owner that essentially was a slave to my business. You know, I couldn't, I couldn't hardly take a day or two away from the business without just worrying about it for one, you know, I maybe get through it, but I couldn't worry, you know, I just couldn't quit worrying about it. And so the, you know, it took me several trial and error times uh, to get through it, but you know, there's kind of a process there to firing yourself. And for me, it started with having a vision for my company and, and as silly as it sounds, and we all hear about a business vision, it was pretty instrumental for me because it gave me that kind of um, lighthouse out in the distance to know which direction my company needed to go in. You know, I, a vision was big enough that um, I wasn't ever going to reach it. I wasn't ever going to reach what that vision was for my company, but I kind of had that light out in the distance where I knew where to go. So for instance, um, we had a, a company that we was looking to buy to, 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 you know, grow our company. And it was a similar company to ours in that they cut, they cut similar products, you know, out that we did, but it was a different end. It wasn't a cabinet. It was, a, you know, boards that have tile on them, you know, so it was a similar type of business, but not exactly the same. And we were in the due diligence phase, you know, about a month and a half into it, a couple months into it. And my right hand man finally, you know, he, uh, stopped me one day and he said, Hey, you know, does, does this thing align you know, does this company align to our vision? And he's like, I'm cool. If it is, let's, let's do it. Let's buy it. But <clears throat> he said, you know, if it's not, then should we take it? And, you know, sure enough, I looked at it that afternoon and I just failed to ask that question to myself. Like I always do, you know, does this align with our vision? And the answer was no. And that afternoon the deal was dead, you know, and, and two years later, it turns out to be a great deal because we found a better company that was a perfect fit for us that we absorbed you know, we doubled in size pretty much overnight and we was able to apply our systems to that business. And, you know, we probably wouldn't have been in that spot if we would have taken that other business because our attention would have been diverted in the wrong direction. So a vision is such a great start because it's kind of your yes, no to every question that comes along. Should we take this contract? Yes or no. Does it get us closer, closer to our vision? Yes, we're going to take it, you know. So it, it makes it real easy. Um, and then for me, the, it's kind of a four-step process. So once you get your vision, you figure it out, you get it set, you start delegating as an owner, you start delegating those things that you know, as an owner that you don't need to be doing. And there's probably a laundry list of them. Me, it was really easy being a, uh, in manufacturing. Um, I was able to just identify that I don't need to be on the shop floor anymore. I'm holding the business back by being on the shop floor. So that was the first thing, first thing I learned to delegate. And it took me several tries to figure it out, but there's a process there to delegate by, you know, um, creating standard processes and procedures for your company. Um, for the, the things that you do, you need to have standard processes. That way your voice as an owner is dictated to not just the employees now, but the employees in the future. So your product is getting built like you want it. And we do very simple procedures. They're eight steps the people, the individuals, they have to fill in the gaps and do it their way. We just want to make sure the beginning and the end is like we want it. 
yeah, but we give them the, uh, the flexibility and the latitude to kind of figure out the middle. So we don't write these elaborate systems. We just have, uh, basically pictures that we snap with our phone. We print them out. We hand write a caption underneath it, stick it to a piece of paper. And that's our, that's our standard procedure. So very, very simple. And then uh, after we get those two steps in, uh, the next kind of step to firing yourself is, is working on your efficiency and automation, automating systems that are redundant. And then uh, kind of the final big step for me, which is what I'm going through now, is looking at the value of your business, meaning from an owner's perspective, the value of my business is only what the business does when I'm not in it. So when I'm looking at the value of my business, I take myself out of the picture and I see what systems or processes fail because I'm not there. And that's where I need to put my focus at. So for instance, right now, I have always done my own accounting. And um, <clears throat> even as big as we've gotten here um, over the last couple of years, I still do my own accounting. And it's something I have got to get off my plate. I've got to get systems for that in place because it's going to make my business worth more without me doing it. Not saying I'm selling my business. I'm just saying my business needs to be in a position that it can run without me. That way it has true value beyond just the value of the assets. So long winded answer there. Sorry, but that's, that's kind of the, the, the short and sweet of the process. That, that's the whole point, isn't it, really, that you, you one, you break down the process so you can look at it stage by stage. You can, you can right. compartmentalize it. Otherwise it's just going, yeah, well, we, we just do these fifty things. It's like, well, no, no, you need to explain one by one what, it, what it is. That's right who's doing it, who needs to be doing it, who should be doing it and, and really sort of building it up. You know, that, that's a bit of a game changer that, right? Oh yeah. Yeah. Processes are probably, if there's one thing that every owner should do, whether they want to pull themselves, you know, away from the business a little bit or not, it doesn't matter. <clears throat> Even for the micromanager type business owner, they want to have standard processes. And, and again, the, the more simple, the better. Um, and they don't have to take time it takes maybe 10 minutes to make a standard procedure in our shop, the way we make it. Um, it's very simple. It's very quick, but the, the thing about standard procedures is it makes, it makes the process bigger than the people because you never know who's going to be there. You know, people change jobs, people move in and out, people retire, uh, people leave and don't come back, you know, and, and, and certain system or certain uh, people when they leave, they're very important people in that system. So it's not always easy to retrain that, that, uh, that specific job function. So, um, the more processes we have in place, uh, usually the better, cause you can train somebody up really quickly or somebody can divert from another area into their area and fill in for them. So it, it's, um, standard processes definitely made it to where when I delegate it's stuck without the processes, I would delegate. And then two or three weeks later, I'd be right back into doing that system. So if you, if you, if you want to delegate, the only way to do it in my eyes and make it stick is you have to have some standard process. You have to have, you know, they call them SOPs. So you get standard operating procedures. I mean, it, it sort of reminds me almost like, you know, if, if people want to change themselves as well, it, it sort of reminds me there that, you know, you have inspiration and motivation, which are great, but they don't last that long. They take it, you know, take a lot of energy and, and you know, to mm -hmm. that if there's not a standard operating procedure in place, then ultimately you'll just revert back to where you were, you know, right. unless you make a proper transformational change, then stuff does change. The whole pattern changes, the whole aspect changes, the whole process changes, right? Yeah, that's right. I mean, if 
our our operation took a huge step forward, a noticeable step forward when we started operating procedures. And we we're still, in my eyes, we're still a long ways away from where we need to be. I mean, we're continually making them better. We've thrown out probably, I would say, 80% of the procedures we made at the first are gone and we've redone them. And, and part of the reason for that is just because they are so easy and quick to make. But that is by far made the biggest change in our business. Um, I shouldn't say overnight, but in a very short amount of time, in the matter of months, um, we, we had totally transformed how our business ran. And it actually, for me as an owner, it was pretty, <clears throat> it was inspiring in itself because it just made me want to do better. It made me want to do more. It put me back in this mode of wanting to grow because I kind of got stalled out in my business where I didn't want to grow anymore because I, I could handle any more on my plate. But now it kind of puts me in a position where, like I said, we absorbed a company and we doubled up <clears throat> and, and I would like to do it again. You know, it's because now we've kind of got this formula that works and, and, it, and it's, it's almost, I'm not going to say it's easy, but it's, um, it's significantly easier than, than doing it from scratch. So it's kind of like once you've, once you've figured it out, you really just want to keep, <laughs> keep doing it over and over, you know? Well, what, what is the key here? I mean, should you be constantly reviewing, you know, where you're at, what's going on? Should you, I mean. Say that again. I'm sorry. You... So, I mean, just what, I'm just wondering, what's the key here? Is it a case that always, you know, question everything that you do question the process or do you, diarize and say let's and let's just take some time to look at what we're doing you know or is it a case of you know look for the slow points of the expensive points in the business and work from there i mean what how do you start I mean, yeah yeah for me it was a little more simple than that it was it was not a lot of um you know really looking at the process looking deep it was really more uh for me it was a little more selfish it was just kind of looking at what i was doing in the business that i didn't need to be so for example at the time that i started delegating i was I was literally running a table saw and cutting parts out, cutting pieces. And I knew that that was the last thing that company that I needed to do. So I tried to delegate it. And basically by delegating, I just gave it to, I said, here, you're, you're, you're the new cut man. You're going to have to start taking it. And he started taking it about two weeks later, I was right back at it. So that's when it became apparent to me that, okay, if I'm going to hand this off to somebody, I've got to have some standard processes. So I, just very quickly jotted a couple down on some, on a piece of notebook paper that I've probably still got somewhere. And it was eight or 10 steps. And I was able to hand it off at that point. It actually, he was, he had something just to kind of refer to in my notes on how to do the primary features that are kind of roadblocks in, in that process. So once I did that, it just made it easy to where I was like, okay, Hey, I can do this very quickly. And I remember going in on a couple of weekends <clears throat> after that stuck. And I did the same thing to four or five of the other major processes in the shop. And then after that, it kind of hit a lull, you know, because I, I had freed some time up for myself to actually get back on the business. And then I realized the importance of that step for us. Um, so I kind of reinvigorated that effort to make more procedures after, I don't know, I, I'm going to say a couple few months, I don't remember two or three months, maybe. Um, we got back into, we really started to hit the processes hard on, on, on all the, all the other areas, you know, the building, the assembly, the delivery, just processes for each, each place. So now each area of the shop has their procedures. And then now it's up to them, you know, the employees to continue that effort and just make, 
more processes for the smaller items, you know, but, um, for me, it wasn't a big effort. It wasn't a, <clears throat> a big organized effort. It was really just what's it going to take me to get out of this function today. Okay. I got to make a process for this, this, and this, and that's what I did. And it, it doesn't take a lot to make a big difference. I mean, after you write 10 or 15 procedures, you've taken out a pretty good chunk of your, you know, your work as an owner to free up some time uh, for you to do what you need to do. And we, we all know as owners, what we need to do, we either need to be selling or marketing or invoicing, or, you know, there's, there's other functions that we need to be doing. And, and to me, now that I was looking back, you know, hindsight's 2020, but me looking back, it was, I knew all along what I needed to do. I just was for some reason fearful to do it. And I, I don't know what drives that, but I was, I was fearful to do it just because I maybe you know, I was scared to let that go, let that function go that I really needed to. But now that I look back, I realized that for us to be responsible stewards of our business, <clears throat> we've got to let that go. We've got to learn how to delegate because we've got a, we've got a responsibility as owners to make sure that we got work in the door for our employees to do, you know, make sure that we've got profitable work that we can give raises and, and benefits eventually and things like that. I, I feel like it's my job as a business owner to make sure that those things happen. I mean, that's interesting. I do. do on your, in your example, I mean, do, do workers generally like change? Cause I mean, humans generally, well, it's a mixture, right? Sometimes it, humans do like change and then they say they do, but then actually we're also creatures of habit too. So that's right. What point- no, I mean, nobody, nobody loves the change. I mean, at first, especially they don't love the change, but what they did appreciate, especially when it came down to SOPs, what they did appreciate is having some guidance. Um, you know, if you probably ask the majority of employees, especially my employees back then, what was their major issue with our business? They probably would have all said communication. Well, that's a broad term, you know, it's such a broad term. And really what it boils down to is they did not always know clearly what they were supposed to be doing as an employee. They, they wanted to be a good worker. They wanted to be a good employee to the business. They just didn't always know how to be like, they didn't know what to be doing to, to, to execute on being a good employee. So when they say that, you know, the company was bad at communication or is bad at communication, I, I tend to think that they're probably talking about procedural type things where they don't know what to do or when to do it. And, and when, when they do know what to do, the other changes that come along, um, they're, they're a lot more responsive to it. So it's not just like, Oh God, he's changing something again. It's more of like, okay, well, we're going to give them a little latitude because it worked out pretty well. The last time in my life is easier because of it. You know, they, they, they kind of understand that you're not doing it to them. You're not doing change to them. You're doing it for them. And that's a pretty big difference. You know, when I was young in business, I would just do change because it needed to happen. I didn't care what, who, who didn't like it, but now it's more of a, okay, we're going to get everybody on this team together. We're going to get a group. We're all going to decide together. Here's what we're going to try. And, we're going to, we're going to decide as a group that that change is going to be okay. You know, and, and in fact, we did it uh, two days ago at my shop. I, I saw a process that was needing some pretty big overhauling and um, surprised we hadn't seen it before now. And I grounded the five people up that worked in that area and we had a 10 minute conversation. And by the time it was done, I wasn't the one doing the talking. The, the employees in that area were like, well, we could try this or we could try this. We could move this card over here and, reorganize this cart and reutilize it. And, you know, and then, so basically they, 
all they asked me at the end is like, well, how much time do we have to do this? And I said, well, let's, let's take two days to get the process done. Then let's try it. And then if it works, we'll go ahead and add another two days to it. So you can fully do the project. And there was some budget things that went with it. Like we had to build some racks and buy some carts and some things like that, that they're still um, working on. But basically over the course of the next week, they're going to be able to increase their capacity in that area by about 30% just by, you know, getting together and trying these couple iterations of change. So that process went from being super inefficient to, uh, you know, probably by the time it's all said and done here in the next few months, whenever we really get honed in, it'll be double the capacity that it is now when it's all said and done with the same amount of people. Yes, yeah, so find, finding that, uh, I suppose, is that a mixture of empowering employees as well that actually you involve them in the process as opposed to going, by the way, PS, we're changing to, yeah. you, know, and, and, you know, empowering them and saying, what do you think? You know, could you suggest anything else? What would you do different? I mean, is that, is that part of it too? It's a monitoring style? Yeah, it is. And, and you know, the way we do it in my shop, um, and, and this is just kind of stuck. I don't know why it's stuck, but for me, Usually when I'm, I walk through the shop on a daily basis, um, it's just part of what I do. And, and usually I'll start to identify a few areas that I want to work on. And, and in our industry, we call it lowering the water to raise the rocks. And basically what that means is, is you're, you're lowering your inventory, uh, your work in progress, you're lowering the amount of work in progress you got in the, in the shop at one time. And by raising the rocks, that means you're, you're going to identify the issues that you're going to have because you're lowering inventory. So that the, I'll take a step back. The, the goal of, you know, one of the biggest goals as a manufacturer is reducing your inventory and turning inventory more times a year because so much of our cash, you know, it could be up to half your cash is wrapped up in, in inventory, depending on the kind of materials you use. It's so, it's so much money. So anything you can do to reduce your work in progress is essentially reducing your inventory because we don't get paid for work in progress. We get paid for work that's on site. Right. So, <clears throat> so for us, when I, when I see some uh, issue in the process, I'll kind of usually round the team up really quickly and literally take 30 seconds and, and just say, Hey guys, we need to lower the water over here on this process. You know, we'll, we'll talk about it next week, but I'll tell them what the process is that we're, we're changing. And that's it. We won't talk about anything about how we're going to change it or what we're going to do. Really, I'm just planting the seed of, hey, I'm going to be coming back here in a week so we can talk about it. And usually that gives me time to kind of figure it out in my head, too, so I know where I'm going. But basically, if you just kind of have uh, something like that where you can almost like telling your kid you're going to leave the pool, it's a lot better to tell them, hey, you got five minutes. Hey, you got two minutes. You got one minute. You know, we're leaving. So you kind of are warning them. The same thing with the employees. They just, they don't want to have that change. If you're going to be changing their, what they are doing every day, let's give them a little bit of warning. Just, Hey, you know, we're, we're going to lower the water and raise the rocks here next week on this process. So the next week comes and we talk about what we're going to do to lower the water, you know, reduce inventory. And we start working through that process. So they've, they've usually already got ideas. So that's for me, that's worked very well just by having that kind of catchphrase of, of lowering the water. and. Um, and, and that usually works out really well. Just out of interest for you, I mean, what, what's your biggest overhead? Is it staff? Is it, is it stock? You know, <clears throat> it's mainly stock and work in progress. So, you know, we build, we build 15 to 20 kitchens a, a week. And, um, and by kitchens, we mean like a full house of cabinets, you know, kitchen, bathrooms, the whole deal. 
So we go through, you know, hundreds of sheets of plywood every week, you know, hundreds of board feet, thousands of board feet of hardwood, uh, which is basically square feet of hardwood a week. So we go through a lot of product and that, <clears throat> that, um, that product being on our balance sheet all the time is, is cash, you know? So, and, and the, the, when you, the, the worst part about inventory is, you know, when it's in a sheet good or it's in a whole form, it's, it's got a little bit of value. But as soon as you cut it up into small pieces for that are going to individual cabinets, essentially it doesn't have a lot of value <laughs> because you couldn't, you couldn't resell that piece or that broken, that cut part. So work in progress is, is tricky because you have to have it to be, a, to have a billable product. But on the other end of that, you don't want any more of it in the process because essentially in that uh, gray area time there in, in between the beginning and the end, it does not have a lot of value. Yeah. So we want to try to reduce that work in progress. So if you, you know, I'll give you an example. <clears throat> when I purchased this other company and we doubled in size, like I was talking earlier, we was carrying, you know, somewhere between four and $500,000 in inventory and in raw goods. And we had about the same amount in, in whip, which would be everything through the process plus what was ready to ship. So we've got about a million dollars tied up there between raw goods and, and finished product. And in the years since we bought that shop, a little over a year, year and a couple months, year and three months since we bought that shop, we have um, we've we've grown about thirty five percent somewhere around there. Uh, we have not added any employees, maybe two or three um, total employees, uh, not very many, and but we have reduced our whip and inventory by half. So we've cut that in half and. Right now, we, we're on a pretty major reduction again by changing our lead times. And we're looking at cutting another third off of that. So, you know, we'll be a total reduction of whatever that is, 65% here in the next couple of months. So within a year and a half, you know, cutting, cutting it down from a million to three to 400,000, you know, areas somewhere around there. It's, it's substantial because that's a dollar bills on the bottom line. That's real money. That's not just... Um, money that shows up somewhere on a balance sheet, you know, that's, that's cash. That's, that's dollar bills off of your balance sheet and into your bank account. I mean, that's, that's game changer, right? Cause I mean, Oh, it's huge. You know, huge. especially I suppose there's a great note there for anyone. If they are looking to buy businesses and all that is, is actually to look at that and saying, yep, you can nearly pay for the company by just reducing stock by reducing yeah. debt, you know, work in progress, speed up the process. And, and that's right. I will shake a lot of wood out of the trees. Yeah. And that's exactly why we bought the business. So we, you know, we were looking to grow. We needed a new facility. The company I was looking at had a great facility that was at a fair price, but more than anything, the price that he wanted for the business was almost covered by the whip and, and, and the inventory. And, and he was, uh, when, when the owner, the owner was just ready to retire. So he was ready to kind of get out from underneath it. So obviously the inventory we bought, uh, at a little bit of a reduced rate from, from whole, but the, the work in progress was significantly undervalued because he didn't know how much he had. And once the day, you know, from day one, we, we moved in, there was probably, um, you know, between 30 and 40 sets of cabinets worth of product in, in all the, all the different stages throughout the shop, it was just hard to tell where it was all at. Cause it was on a cart here and a cart there and it was stacked in the corner here. But, you know, once we put it all together and delivered it, it was a significant amount of product. So, I mean, yeah, we, we was able to put a dent on paying for that business from, from day one. So it was, it was pretty, 
pretty significant. So, I mean, that's a great thing to look at. If you're ever shopping for a business, you know, to, to be able to properly value it, you can look at it and say, man, they've got a lot of whip here and they got a lot of inventory. We could reduce that by half. And that money comes directly back to us from day, you know, as soon as we get reduced in half, that's, it's literally cash dollars onto your, off your balance sheet into your bank account that you can use to grow your business or pay off the business that you bought, whatever it is. It's such a good point, actually, because there's a guy, Keith J. Cunningham, and he talks about, you know, keys to the vault and, and that's exactly it. So when you're valuing companies, you know, you could have a, a theoretically a 10 million pound turnover company and you could have a 1 million pound turnover company. And actually the 1 million pound is, is worth more because they have higher profit margins, but also they have potentially they're carrying a lot of stock. They're carrying a lot of debt. They're carrying or, right. uh, as in customer debt. And also they're, they're really inefficient. Whereas the 10 million one could be, there's, there's no assets. There's no nothing Yeah, leverage to the max. And there's yeah, no- not making any money. And yeah, probably don't have any inventory or raw goods to speak of because they can't buy it. Yeah. Yeah. And that's it, you know, so it's, all- and that's kind of where we was at when we bought this company, he was doing <clears throat> about, um, he was doing about two, a little over 2 million, two and a half million, somewhere around there, 2.6 million. Uh, that's us obviously, but, um, about 2.6 million. And like I said, we've stuck another, uh, we've grown another 30 some percent of, from where he was at, you know, just in the first year, which we wasn't, we was not expecting that. And a lot of that was COVID related, <clears throat> you know, we took a little hit from COVID initially, but soon after, I don't know <clears throat> in your area, how the housing market is, but ours is just kind of running rampant right now. And, uh, it's finally, it's starting to level. Yes. <laughs> yes it's, it's starting to level off just a touch right now. So fortunately we're starting to see maybe a, a little bit of leveling off, which, which to be real honest, I love being busy, but being being chaotic is no fun so it's it's like the last year has been a bit chaotic as as busy as it's been it's 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 absolutely been crazy a bit of a grand cardone question here but how, how could you 10x your company you know i've thought about that a lot um it, basically i think i could take my formula that i've got for for finding a business i think that right now there's there's an, an opportunity um, especially in the U S there's an opportunity with all the, the baby boomers getting to that gen- that, that whole generation getting to retirement age or past retirement age. And, and there's so many of that, that generation that, you know, they're just, they're brought up differently on business. You know, they, a business was to provide you a living, you know, and, and when you're working in it, you get a living when you're not working, you don't get a living. So basically they're selling their businesses, uh, for the value of the assets. And, if you can look beyond that and find out that they've got great employees, they've got a few systems, you know, they got good processes and they've got a great customer base. They're not all, you know, they're diversified. In other words, they don't have one customer that's 70% of their business. So if you can check a few boxes like that and you can put your formula of, of reducing inventory, reducing whip and, and you know, and, and making it more efficient with your current processes, then you can all of a sudden 10 X, you know, overnight. So, you know, we could go from six to 60 in the matter of a couple of years, few years, you know, and, and really the, what that takes is that as an owner, you know, getting out there and just finding these companies. And, and that's, you know, I'll tell you how I found the company that I bought was through an insurance agent. He, um, I was getting ready to redo my plan and I was talking to him about, couple of things I want to do on my plan. And I just mentioned to him, I was like, you know, Hey, I'm, I'm needing to grow here. And I, I really think I want to grow through an acquisition. I, I want to find somebody that's ready to sell. And he said, you know what? I think I've got a guy. 
And sure enough, he put us together. I, I knew the owner just cause he's in our local market. Mm. I knew of him. I'd met him one time, uh, but I didn't know him that well. And he basically just called me and said, Hey, I, I think he's ready to retire. And we, we met for lunch the next day and had a handshake deal. And three months, three or four months later, we were closing on it. So, I mean, it was, you know, you could say, you could say it was luck, but it was also, I was putting that out there. Yeah. Um, you know, I was putting it out there to people that, Hey, I'm, I'm looking to buy something. I'm just needing to do something here. And, and it worked out, worked out great. And he was, you know, he did, a he financed part of the business, you know, himself, we bought the building outright. Basically he financed the machinery and, and, um, and the, the blue sky of the business just put that on a note and we just pay him every month. And, and here, you know, it's a six year note or a year and a half into it. And I think by the end of this year, we'll probably have it paid for, if not all the way, most of the way, you know, we'll have it pretty well paid for. So, um, so that's, you know, so basically that's, that's just all, uh, that's, that's all a, um, because of the efficiencies and the things we did when we moved in there, you know, we're going to gain enough cash. We're going to be able to pay him down or pay him off significantly, you know, by the end of the year. I mean, it's, it's, you know, sitting with hindsight and looking at it and you sort of going, yeah, it's, it's easy, right. You know, but yeah. one, it sort of takes that, you know, and then you sort of say, well, how did, you know, not to take away because the chaps had a, a successful business, but how did you sure. know this? But you don't know what you don't know, right? You know, That's right. If, if you are, as you saying, if you're too busy down on the shop floor doing stuff, then the problem yep. is you're not getting that 10,000 foot view that allows you mm-hmm. to get perspective, right? No, there's, there's no way in the world. A, there was no way in the world that I would have been shopping for another business five years ago when I had no idea how I was going to just, no idea how I was just going to take a three or four day vacation at the time, you know? So if you don't have, if you don't have some of those steps implemented to, to have yourself kind of in a position where you fired yourself, there's no sense in looking at growing beyond what you can do because you're just going to ultimately it's probably going to end up making it where you're going to reduce back down to that size um, of, of just what you can handle, or you're going to end up closing your doors because as a business owner, you're just not going to have time to take care of all those functions. So there's, absolutely zero reason that I could see a person would ever want to, uh, try to purchase another business or, or, or acquire another business unless if they filled all those gaps that you were doing yourself, unless they checked all those boxes from the day one, I just, I would not do it. But you know, the business I bought did not check those boxes. They, the owners were still very much, you know, involved every day on, on specific parts of the business. They were still very integrated into it, you know, and, they did most of the sales and all this stuff. So there was a lot of things that we had to set up very quickly uh, because they were still doing so much of that business themselves. There was, there was two owners of that business. So, um, you know, they were both very, very involved in it day to day. I mean, uh, is, it, is this likely to happen again? Cause I mean, I'm just thinking for, oh, yeah. you know, from, you know, admin, you know, there's a lot of efficiencies there when you can say, well, let's, yep. We don't need two sets. We can have one set or we can, you know, we can share premises. We can, right. you know, cut down on this. We can max yep. that, shorten that, whatever. Right. So it, it's sort of market value is one thing, but potential value and, op, uh, and sort of, uh, you know, opportunity value is, is a very different yes. thing, right? Yeah. It almost, it almost has become with me, it's almost become like a, a have to rather than a want to. And like it's now that I've seen it, I know how to do it and I've got it kind of figured out and I don't have it all figured out, but I've just, I've got a, I've got the big bullet points figured out to where I'm comfortable with it. I guess that's probably the biggest part of it. Now I'm comfortable with that process. 
Sure. Um, you know, I'm looking at a, there's, there's a couple of markets that are close to us that are about 80 miles away, but they're, they're not our market, but they're close enough that, um, you know, we could check on it and we can keep a good eye on it. So I'm, I'm looking in those two markets right now to find my next opportunity. And, and basically I'm, I've talked to vendors that I use in those areas, um, you know, you know, things like that, just like, Hey, do you know any businesses that are kind of got a guy ready for retirement or close to that age, or just doesn't want to be an owner anymore. He just kind of wants to run the dude, you know, from day to day, but he doesn't want to own it. And I saw, I've already got my feelers out there. And as long as I don't get in a hurry, um, you know, as long as I don't make it to where I have to do one of those deals, then something will come along, you know? So I just started that about two or three months ago, kind of started putting those feelers out there to people I know in those areas, you know, even, even I'll talk to some of my, um, installers, which are basically trim carpenters, you know, they go into a house and they put the trim carpentry, final carpentry up, hmm. hang our cabinets, that kind of stuff. I'll talk to those trim carpenters and say, Hey, if you know any other cabinet shops that you work for that are kind of ready to retire or ready to go out of business, man, give them my name and, and let me talk to them, you know? And, and that's not that we're looking to necessarily double up again, but if we could find another shop like the one we just bought, you know, something like that, I think we could add it on and within four or five months, have them up to operational efficiency like we are now. So it's just, like you said, it's once you, once you find the formula, it's just executing it over and over and over again. And you get those, the bigger you get, the more operational efficiencies you're going to gain from that. Like you said, you know, especially on the admin side. Yeah. It makes a huge amount of sense. I mean, it just, when you think about it, God, I'm getting, I'm getting quite excited now. Yeah. <laughs> Willing you on to go and buy more businesses, you know, but there you go. it's so true, right? You know, you get scale, mm-hmm. you get, you know, you get different markets, you know, there is a potential there that you actually sort of, you know, opens your customer base, potentially reduce, reduces competition as well in some ways. That's right. You know? Yeah, that's right. But ironically, all this seems to have come from almost that looking for the efficiencies. Yes. The efficiencies in your own business has allowed you to really sort of nail down and to, to, to push on the efficiencies, the profitability, et cetera. Well, yeah. You pushed on the, the efficiencies and ultimately then that produced, you know, profitability. Cause I'm assuming you've not yes. gone direct for profitability. No, no, it was not. Um, <clears throat> you know, we, we, we struggled with profitability for years. You know, we'd, we'd have some good months. We'd have some bad months. And at the end of the year, it was just like, eh, you know, it's okay. And, um, and then once I really started to hone in on the, on the efficiencies, you know, as, as part of my daily job, um, that's, <clears throat> that's definitely made all this other stuff possible. And, and that's why I'm still so, uh, into the efficiency. That's why I still do it so much, you know, every day. That's just, that's just where my head goes naturally. I can't stop it, you know, but I, instead of kind of fighting it, like I used to now I'm just, you know, full steam in that direction. So it's, uh, for me, it just makes a lot of sense. So for me, operational efficiency, uh, office efficiency, the whole deal uh, is, is, is the driving force behind a lot of what we do. Mm. What's your superpower? Excuse me. What's your superpower? Superpower. Mm. What do you mean? What's, what's your one, <laughs> if you were to get a, get a cape or a uniform or one thing on the front, what would it be? You know, with me, I would say, um, I, I'd say like me and my, my mantra or whatever, like what I, what I'm about, you know, is, is, is passion drives process or progress. So, you know, I'm passionate about what I do uh, every day when I go in, I'm, I just, I, you know, I'm, I'm into what I do. I like it. I enjoy it. And <clears throat> it's not that I necessarily love 
building a cabinet anymore, but I love the, the process of getting to that point of building a cabinet. So with me and, you know, and I say it to my employees all the time, passion drives progress. And then we do that all the time. And, and our leaders, uh, our team leaders, actually, they, they kind of take that on themselves. You know, they know that if they're passionate about what they do, the people around them are going to, it's infectious, you know, it, it, everybody else will kind of get onto that same, um, everybody, everybody will get onto that same thinking or that same way of, of doing things. So yeah, I, I would say passion is, is a lot of it. Mm. Talk to us then about your book. What was it about? What was the intention? And, and Yeah. So, well, it started as a, a, just a fun deal. So I, I've got a blog that I have had on and off for the last few years. And I, I do some, uh, guest writing for one of our publications called woodworking network. So every now and then they'll have me write an article for them. And, and I, it was one of those things I started just, I enjoy it. I mean, it was, it was fun. Um, and then I started to notice my blog got a little bit of traction. Um, you know, started having pretty fair amount of subscribers, which for the woodworking industry, you know, it's a relatively small industry and we had a couple of thousand subscribers and that was, you know, that was great. So it kind of gave me fuel to keep writing. And after doing that for a couple of years, um, and having a, I don't know, hundred, hundred or 150 articles, something like that. Um, I started realizing, you know, Hey, I've got a lot of, uh, stuff here for a book. And, and so I kind of started thinking, you know, well, maybe I'll just come at first. It started out as what I was just going to do a big ebook and basically just combine all my biggest articles into one ebook and put that out as a resource for the cabinet makers. And, and somebody along the way said, we well, ought to just write it as a book and, and put it into a process, you know, put the whole book and, you know, make the book a big process. So, um, that's what I did. It started about two years ago, um, got to the point where we had chapters laid out and everything. And then I actually hired a, a company that it helped me. I had no idea how to do the publication or anything like that. So they, they got me from the point of, of where I had it kind of roughly put together to where they actually got it put together like a book is supposed to be done, you know, from the cover and the art and all the, you know, the printing and all the stuff that, that you have to do that you don't know about hired them to take care of all that. And, uh, and again, it was another one of those deals that I did not start for money. I don't intend to make money on the book. Um, I seriously doubt I would sell enough copies to make money on it. Who knows? Really? I just did it to, uh, there's something about being a, an educator kind of, I guess is the word for it. Just, being a, you know, being somebody that I, I like being that guy that's, you know, people will send me an email and just say, uh, well, in fact, I had a guy email me a couple of weeks ago after the book came out. He said, Hey, good, good kind of a colleague of mine. And, and he, uh, emails me about his vision for his company. He's like, what do you think about this? And, you know, and I just kind of gave him a couple of bullet points about how to, what he could, what else he could think about some other ideas. And I, and I love that because I'm, it's like, he's, he's, um, taking what I've said to heart and he's actually doing it in his company. So I'm going to help him all I can, you know, and I'm, I'm not charging him for that. I'm not making any money off that or, you know, it's, it has nothing to do with money. It just has to do with um, sharing my experiences with somebody else and be awesome to see somebody else have the same experience or the, or the same success at, at, as I did. So if, you know, if I'm able to it's change somebody's business through that book, I mean, I mean, that's, that to me makes the whole last two years worth it. I mean, it'd be a, it'd be a great deal. Hmm. It's great exposure too, right? Yeah. I mean, it, it should be, you know, it's, it's, it's nice to, it's, and, it, and it's nice to have, you know, it's kind of nice to have a, a book to lean back on, you know, cause somebody, you know, every now and then I'll get opportunities to speak at, at little woodworking events and things like that. And, 
And it'd be kind of nice to be able to take the book there and have something to give them after the fact, if they liked the speech, then they can kind of have something else to work on. And, and I, I kind of tried to write it as a, as a tactical guide to growth, you know, to, to, uh, growing a business from, you know, basically my, my story from going from a business owner that worked, you know, in the business to working on the business. And that's, um, that's really what it's, it's all about. Mm. What, um, I'm just curious. I mean, with, with the book, I mean, have you really sort of tried to, is it about your journey or is it almost like a process of how people can do it for themselves? Well, it's, it's both. It's, it's, it's a process. It's kind of like, here's my stumbles, here's my failures, and here's what I learned from it. So here's the right, right step. So hopefully, hopefully they read this in, in the amount of time that they can maybe understand, Oh, here's why I'm stumped. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm stuck because I'm wearing too many hats or I don't have a vision or I'm not efficient. You know, maybe they can take something out of that book and just apply it to their, uh, circumstance and basically make, maybe it's a, a light bulb moment for them. Like, Oh, geez, this is what I'm doing wrong, you know? And, and that's, that would be, uh, that's, that, that's the goal is, is basically through my journey, I've laid out a process of what did work and what didn't work, you know, kind of what I did before and now what we're doing after. So, um, I always like those, I don't know why. And I think a lot of people are the same way, but I like, you know, when I watch videos on YouTube, I always like those videos where they're, you know, started here and I kind of fell a few times and then I figured out, you know, figured it out and now I'm here, you know? So it's, uh, I, I like those kind of, um, story type guides, I guess. Mm. That makes sense. I mean, that, you yeah. know, that's the thing. Cause we, we generally respond best to stories, right. You know, people, oh, yeah. you know, how, how it is. So is, is there going to be more books, John, Jack, you know, you know, if, if, if this one does end up being, um, it, it was a lot of work. I'll be real honest. It was a lot of work. It was way more work than I ever would have imagined. There was several times I just tabled it for months on end before I would blow the dust back off of it and keep writing. Um, but I think now that I've got it figured out, I could probably bang one out in a few months, you know, it can be a lot quicker. So if it's well-received, I've got a couple of ideas that I would like to do. Um, you know, basically I would like to do something my next one would probably be something to do with this, you know, buying businesses and scaling, um, through absorbing that kind of deal. And, and, and the process is laid out there because there's not a lot of great information out there about that. You kind of always, you always hear about these businesses. Like you mentioned, Grant Cardone, I have no idea how you get to a billion dollars or two or wherever he's at, you know, I have no idea. And he's a, he's a huge character, but, um, I would like to, uh, meaning, you know, he's just, he's, he's out there. He's loud. He's, you know, and, and, and I like a lot of stuff that he does, but it doesn't, for me, it doesn't apply just because he's already so far there. He's already so far out there. It's hard for me to identify with where he's at. Um, it's neat and it's cool to watch, but it's hard for me to identify like, okay, well, how do I get from where I'm at? So anywhere close to where something like that is, well, I think it's all the same process, but it's just hard to relate to for me. So I, I, I think if I ever wrote another book, it would be something to something for just the small business that has become a medium sized business and they want to figure out how to become a big business. That's kind of, that would be kind of something I would want to, I think would be a very well-received, um, you know, book. Yeah, no, I mean, it, it makes sense, you know, cause it's, I mean, you've touched on so many t topics there from everything from, you know, purchasing businesses through to efficiencies, through to scaling, through to, you know, really sort of sweating out or looking at the 
you know, the profitability side of it. So, I mean, yeah. there's a lot of sectors there, which yeah, fair play to you. And you, you've gone through the mill to actually get to that stage. Yeah. You know, which is, which is fantastic. A lot of work, a lot of, a lot of work, a lot of hours, but, uh, I, I, I mean, I wouldn't do it if I didn't enjoy it. So, um, you know, and, and the, the great thing is, is, is that I've, the, probably the biggest thing that I get out of it is like, when I look back is where I used to be as an owner and where I'm at now as an owner is two totally different places. And it's actually made me a better person. It's made me a better family man. You know, I, I've got more time. I've got more focus when I'm with my family and less focus on work when I'm away from it. And, uh, so that, that, that's, there's been a lot of side benefits to that, that I didn't necessarily see at first, but it's, uh, that, that's a big plus. Mm-hmm. No, it makes, it makes a huge difference, you know? So what, um, for you then, when, when you're not wrapped up in the business, what do you do? What is, what's, what's Jeff look like on his downtime? <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I got, I got three kids. Um, one's a freshman in high school and then two years below that. So, you know, I got a 15, 13 and 11, two boys and a girl. And so, you know, all the activities that come with them, you know, you're, you play bus driver half the time and you're at one of their events on the other half. So it's, um, you know, which we love it. You know, we, 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 we want to break every now and then, but we love it. And, uh, so we do a lot of kids stuff. We do a lot of events. We do a lot of, a lot of running around. Um, we, we love having cookouts at the house and, you know, I love to play golf and it's great. My, my older son is a freshman in high school and he's, uh, just starting out in the golf team. So he and I get to go play golf. So we're, you know, getting to share that with him. And that's been, uh, not only good for my game because I've got to play more, but it's been nice that I've had the time to actually break away and, you know, leave work early a couple of days a week to go out to the range with him and hit balls. And that, you know, so that's kind of what we do. And, you know, we go to the lake periodically and, you know, so we, we, um, you know, we got a pretty good deal, really good deal. Do you have balance in your life or is it a, is it yeah, a- I do. You know, when I'm not, when I'm not at work, I'm not at work, um, anymore. Um, when I'm, when I'm at home, I'm, I'm there. I don't, I don't worry about work. I don't, if, if there's a week that I'm just not feeling it, just not wanting to go, then I, you know, I just kind of make it an easy week, you know, I maybe work 20 hours or something, but you know, the, the, the years of years and years and years, I work 13, 14 hours a day, you know, or, you know, work till five o'clock, go home and have dinner and then go right back till 10 o'clock, you know, and we've all done it as entrepreneurs. And, and part of that grind is what sets you up for later. As long as you do something with it, make that grind worth it, you know, um, capitalize off of it. But, um, no, now I, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't work hours like that anymore. I kind of work when I need to, when I want to. And if, like I said, if there's a time that uh, matters of fact, uh, about a year and a half ago, I decided to kind of test my theory of, me needing, not needing to be part of the business every day. And we took a month off and jumped in our van with the kids and took a summer, uh, vacation where we just drove, you know, halfway across the U S and stopped at a bunch of places and literally just took off work for a month. And, um, not saying I didn't have to do any work, but I mean, I was able to escape work there for about a month. And, and so, I mean, I really, I just wanted to test my, test my theory, you know, can it really operate without me? And the answer was yes. It was able to pretty much operate without me. And I mean, it works, worked out great. And, you know, we're looking forward to doing something like that again, as long as this COVID stuff kind of starts lifting here soon, then we'd like to do it again this summer. That makes sense. Yeah. What's, tell us, what's your non-negotiable, Jeff? My non-negotiable, um, 
And that's a great question. Um, you know, I don't, I don't negotiate on things like, I don't negotiate on things like efficiency within the business. I don't negotiate on if, if, if there's a process that the employees want to change and it's going to make it inefficient. We just, we don't negotiate on that. We don't negotiate on inefficiency. And we also don't, we don't negotiate when it comes to our culture. So, um, for instance, um, a good, good friend of mine in the industry told me one time that they were a very great business. In fact, they've sold a few years ago. And he told me that once you get a business that's running good and your employees love it and you have this culture, it kind of becomes this self-policing culture. In other words, um, the, well, well, I'm trying to remember how he worded it, but basically it was something to the effect of, um, the, the light will get shined on the cockroaches is what he said. You know, they're, the, the, the ones, the employees that are trying to tear it down are the employees that are not putting in that same effort and the same quality and the same drive and passion as the other ones that they're going to get themselves weeded out. And what's real interesting about our operation that I can say is probably truly unique among especially cabinet manufacturers is not only is our self-policing, um, our team leaders, which we have about five team leaders on the shop. We don't really use a foreman setup. We use team leaders the team leaders have pretty much full autonomy. If they, if they need to hire somebody, they go out, they try to go in their circle and they try to find somebody to hire. And if they need the office's help with that, we'll help them by making a listing or something like that. But in general, um, they hire their own people and they kind of know what the rate is for what job they're doing. And they just get it. They get the final approval from the office, obviously, but they find the candidate they put them through the working interview, the two or three day working interview to make sure that they're going to be a good fit for the team. And then they hire them. But then more importantly, if there's one that's not working out because they're, they're showing up late every day, or they're not cleaning their stations at the end of the day, like everybody else is, or whatever it is, you know, they're just not pulling their weight. Then they, they kind of get them pushed out the door, you know? And, um, so as far as non-negotiables, I have to say it's, is it's definitely our culture and, and within that culture are our efficiencies. Mm. It's not fascinating. You know, the people do ultimately self-police if you give them pride, if you give them respect yeah. and trust in the workplace, yeah. they do the step forward and step up, you know, and yeah. they, you know, some businesses can be sort of, you know, say, Oh, well, let's, I can't afford to pay them any more money. And so quite often it's not about money. It's about trust and respect and that's right. Mission, you know, and that, that alone can be a real game changer. Yeah. And I've never understood why the office would often dictate what employee belonged in a certain area because a certain area needs another employee that that area that they're working in needs to dictate what that employee is, because I don't know who's going to get along with you. And if you're the one that's building all my cabinet boxes and you get an employee in there, that's just going to be a headbutting, you know, um, tough guy or a tough person. Mm. And it's going to be a constant battle, but on paper and he, he or she's a great employee. I mean, it's not worth having them around. It's just not going to work. So, that, you know, we do a working interview process that lasts three or four days. And at the end of every day, the team members within that team fill out a, a three question little deal at the, at the end of the day. And basically it's like, you know, did this employee perform? Yes or no. Uh, did this employee get along with the other team team members? Yes or no. Uh, would you like to have this uh, potential employee come back tomorrow? Yes or no. 
And if the answer is no to any of those questions during that first three or four days among most of the team members, then we don't ask them to come back. We just pay them for their time and then they head on. But they know this going into it, that this is a working interview for, you know, up to four days. And uh, it works out. It works out fantastic. I mean, it just works out fantastic because regardless, they get paid in four days, whether they get hired or not. So they get a little paycheck, you know, to get them going because there's a lot of people that need that paycheck to get them going at first. So that's great. But then it also puts them with those team members because what we found is what they'll tell us in the office interviewing them is a lot of times different than what they really are as a real person. So when they get out there on the shop floor working alongside with those people after two or three days, they'll start to loosen up and become who they really are. Mm. And, uh, and sometimes who they really are is even better than what, you know, better than what they were when they were in the office interviewing. And that's great. And that's what we're, you know, that's what we're ultimately shooting for. I've, I've never heard of the term working interview before, but it makes so much sense, right? You know, yeah. it's, it's, oh, yeah. you know it's not for nothing, but it, it's, it's there and it's, it's a great sort of almost get to know you process. And it's that's right. kind of try before you buy type thing, you know? Yeah, that's, that's exactly right. I mean, yeah. And we'll, we'll still interview them in the office just to make sure that they fit some of the core, you know, if, if we need to be able to lift 50 pounds, we need to make sure that, you know, just some of the little core things, that kind of stuff. But once they pass that little core competency till or or there's not a a background check issue or anything like that then we'll let we'll allow them to go on with the with the working interview process but they know how much they're going to make on the working interview they know how many days it potentially is going to be and we don't do any more than four uh, i don't know why we picked that exact day but um basically we figure if they start on a monday they'll go through thursday and if we're not going to have them back you know they can go look for another job the following day so um but but they know going into it it's a working interview and that it's a, it's a hard yes or no at the end of it, you know, at the end of those four days yeah. works out and it works out great. We've been doing that for well, three or four years now. And, um, it, it, it just, it works out really, really good. I, I would say it has reduced our overall turnover to, I mean, to, to almost, I shouldn't say nothing, but I mean, we, we've got a lot of employees that have been there for a lot of years now. Mm. And that's, that's, I mean, not autonomy, you know, there's so much you talk about there that I think that really sort of, is going to help to get buy-in there from people. Oh yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. It's been a, been a great, great deal. Talk to us then also about, you know, your, your podcast. I mean, is that something you love to do? I mean, it's the, the, the push through podcast and it's there. Mm-hmm. It's something, you know, that was something I started again a couple of years ago. It's kind of a pet project, just wanting to mess with it. And I, I don't do it as frequently as I want to, you know, I think we've got a total of 20 or 30 episodes recorded. We haven't posted any actually in the last, a uh, couple three months, but we're we've got some in the can that we're going to start putting out there, and um, it's been a lot of fun. I mean, I, it, it's something I just totally do, and I, and I even talk about it on the podcast. It's like, hey, this may be the last one you hear from me forever. This one may be the last one you hear from me for a week or six months. I don't know, but basically, I just when I have a little bit of free time in my schedule that I want to do podcasting, I do it. So it's totally a pet project, but I I really enjoy. Um, I've got to interview a lot of really cool people. I've also got to just sit on there and, and just be a talking head for an hour about something that's on my mind. And, uh, you know, I've actually got a series that I'm going to be working on. I kind of started recording some of the bits and pieces of it the other day that I want to start recording one. That's just me talking about my process of buying that business and what I went through and, you know, the hard parts, the easy parts and what I would do differently doing the next time and just kind of talk through that process. And a lot of times it helps me just talking through stuff like that where, Usually I'll get some kind of feedback when I put an episode out, 
Hey, I love that episode. Or, Hey man, that's, that's really cool. Or did you ever think about this? Or have you talked to this guy? So I usually get some kind of uh, feedback from somebody in the industry and, and that's, that's really cool. So, um, I, I I'll continue to do the podcast, but again, it may be at the rate of one a year. Or I may get on a run and do 20. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> it's interesting because, uh, I know that that's how I did my own book. I but more or less, you know, through structured interviews, you know, mm-hmm. so the thought of me sitting down and typing out the book was never going to happen. It's just not my style, you know, where right. you ask me a question, I'll go into flow state. I'll come out yeah. picking references and it's just what comes out. Right. And then you go, well, let's put that into words and then let's get it tidied up. And voila, we have a book, make it a book. That's yeah. right. Like, you, know, I've, you know, helping a number of people do said, we'll put a book out in three months. No bother, you know? Yeah. Is, it's uh, a lot easier than what I would have thought before, you know, but just getting that process. Hmm. I think when I finally got in, got it figured out, like, okay, I'm going to do this book and I'm going to do it. Um, you know, I started really just using my voice recorder on my phone. And when I was on the road to and from work, I would just sit there and record, you know, chapters or sub chapters or whatever, just something that was on my mind. I would just record it. I uh, would send it to a, a guy that was online that he just um, do the, you know, I send him the recording and he dictated on the, on the words. Mm-hmm. And then I would just kind of cut and chop out of it what I wanted. He would clean it up a little bit to make it, you know, to make it correct uh, grammar wise. But then, uh, and then I just get it back. I'd kind of proofread it, edit it, and we do it again. And, and then eventually we had a book. So, I mean, we, it, with today's technology, gosh, you can do this. I'm, you don't have to sit in front of the computer and peck out every single word of that book. I mean, it's, it's a lot easier than that. Absolutely. And that's, I know cause I have, I have dyslexia and ADHD and, and I, uh-huh. I say to people, it's like, listen, you know, I've, I've managed to put out a book and you can too, believe me, it, it's, it's not that <laughs> difficult. It's going to take a bit of focus and concentration, but that's right. It's highly possible, you know, but yet there's, it's probably in the, the sort of the top 5% of the, those that talk about it and those that actually do, you know? So, I mean, yeah, well done you for getting it out there and, and yeah, thank you. Happen, you know, and so, yeah. you know, it's all, all about making, making it, man, listen, taking the next step really and doing the things that may seem difficult or impossible for other people. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, it, it was a lot of fun. And I think for me, it just, it, the, the fun in it was being able to hopefully uh, hopefully teach somebody, you know, just hopefully it makes it easier. And, and hopefully I, I mean, there's nothing more that I want is that feedback of, of somebody sending me that email or a text or whatever, get to me LinkedIn or whatever and message me and just say, man, I really like this part of this book or what would you do in this scenario for my business type deal? And man, I, I just, I love that. And I, I'm love it when I get those emails and those, those messages like that. Mm. No, it makes sense. So tell me what's, what's a bit of a guilty pleasure for you then? Is it just, is it getting away? What's. Yeah. You know, guilty pleasure for me is playing golf during the week, you know, um, you know, during the work week and little things like that. I mean, just getting away, getting away when I want to, sometimes it's still hard for me. Cause I mean, I'm a, um, it, if I was to label myself, I'm kind of a, used to be a workaholic, you know, so getting out of that, getting out of that groove of work first all the time has been a little bit of a challenge. It's, it's a little bit hard to get away from sometimes just in my mind, but when I do it, when I get away and I'm, you know, and, and I go do something. Yeah. I mean, sometimes I'll feel a little guilty at first, but it's, it's less so now than it was maybe a couple of years ago, uh, mainly because I, I know that I've earned that. I know that I've, <laughs> you know, I don't have a problem justifying to myself, you know, a vacation or something because I've, I've earned it. I mean, I've, I've put in the time, I've put in the, 
the effort and uh, put in the risk, you know, I've, I've, everything I've done, I've, uh, I've done to that effort. So, or to that, for that end. So um, yeah, that'd be, that still probably a little bit feels like a guilty pleasure when I just get away in the middle of the week for, for nothing or take a couple of days off because I want to type deal, but I'm, uh, I'm getting better at it. <laughs> if you were then trying to try and summarize your sort of keys to success or your, your bullet points, I mean, how would you do that in five points, say, lesson? Well, I mean, for me, that's, that's pretty, that's pretty easy. I would say, <clears throat> I would say to, for my success, what, what ultimately started it, there was, there was probably five things. One was, um, I, I decided one day that I wanted to get an executive business coach and I hired a business coach um, somewhere in that five to six years ago range, somewhere around there. Mm -hmm. Um, we talk every Tuesday and we still talk every Tuesday and we have for years and it's expensive and it's just part of my, um, it's, it's part of my budget now. Like I, I wouldn't do it without it. Um, and in fact, I'm considering adding a second one, um, just for a different perspective. So I, I would say that for anybody that's looking, that's stuck, that's just wanting to start the process, find you a good business coach, executive business coach that maybe knows a little bit about your industry. You know, if you're retail, find somebody that does that kind of work or somebody, if you're software, find somebody that does that kind of coaching. My guy, he's construction. So he's, he's close enough that, um, he's close enough that it works for us, um, industry wise. So we talk, like I said, we talk every Tuesday and that's, that's been instrumental in holding me accountable as an owner to the changes that I know need to be made. And that's, that's, that's huge. Um, but he's also the one that set me on the path to becoming, to getting a vision. Like he made that, and he made that important for me to, and it made me understand the importance of a vision of a strong vision. So we, we, we figured that out. I learned how to delegate after that. And then, um, you know, then, then became when I got really serious about the efficiency and the automation of my business. And, and like I said earlier in the interview, the, the last thing is, is our, is, is understanding the value of our business. So right now my main focus is making my business more valuable. And by, by that, basically, I mean, how can I make the more, the business more valuable with me, not in it, with me, not a part of it. So that's my main focus right now. Just what does this, my, my personal vision is what is what I'm doing right now, make my business more valuable. And if the answer is yes, then I keep doing it. If it's not, then I've, I've got to figure out a way to, uh, to offload it. Mm. No, it's, I mean, it makes so much sense that you actually look at it strategically. Yeah. I applaud you for taking that time out. You know, that's <laughs> a, no matter what it's, you know, cause it's very, it's very hard to get the truth or it's very hard to get a perspective from those around you because ultimately they're, they're either working for you or working, you know, with you or whatever. So to get that yeah. perspective is, is, is very, very refreshing. Yeah. And that, the, you know, like I said, the coach is, is a big part of that. And if your coach doesn't challenge you, then you, you need to find a different one. You know, that's all there is to it. If, if he's he or she's not the, I interviewed four coaches, uh, whenever I was looking for that. And, uh, I had never even known that such a thing existed. Um, and I heard it on a Tony Robbins podcast one time or, or a video or something that he, he at one time used to offer coaching and, it's like, Oh my gosh, I didn't even think about that. You know, athletes have coaches. Why can't business owners have coaches? You know, we, we, we need help too. So, um, you know, like I said, uh, you know, I hired him a few years ago. It was, 
fantastic from day one. We clicked very well. Um, he's a, he's a personal friend of mine now. So, I mean, it's, it's been a very good relationship, but I would also like to find somebody that is still in the business trenches day to day. Um, that is bigger than I am quite a bit. You know, I'd like to find somebody that's doing 50 million a year or 60 million a year. Somebody that's just on that next level that I can understand mm-hmm. how to get there more effectively, more easily and stuff like that. So that's, you know, my, my goal personally is, is like I said, I want to hire another coach. that's kind of doing something like that. And that's looking for somebody like that is, is a little more different, difficult, a little bit more of a you know, needle in the haystack, but what I have, what I have found just through talk, I know a lot of business owners that own big businesses and I've asked them before, Hey, would you, would you like to maybe do a little mentoring to me? And, and they're all, they're, they're mostly hesitant because they're like, Oh, I don't really have anything to teach. It's like, what you do, you just don't know it. <laughs> you know. So, but if I can find me one, that's kind of how I intend on finding me another coach is just finding me somebody that's still doing it, you know, every day. So that that's, that's kind of the next personal goal of mine. Maybe there's, maybe that goes both ways too. Maybe, you know, more than you realize. And <laughs> maybe. Mentoring others too, right? Maybe, maybe so. I don't know. I mean, I would be, I would definitely be up for it. Cause I, I love that. Um, I love to just help wherever I can. So, I mean, I would be, I would be totally up for that. It'd be a lot of fun to, to kind of help a, a business owner that may be struggling or something like that, just to get them over the hump and, uh, get it, get them onto the, get them onto the road to, you know, a little bit of personal freedom. Like what they, you know, kind of the goal is to have the business that you imagined in your head that kind of conned you into going out to business on your own, you know, like this, this illusion of, freedom and success and, you know, money and whatever else it is that you went into business for, uh, you know, trying to help somebody reach that goal, you know, getting the business of their dreams. That's that, that'd be pretty awesome. Yeah. No, it's listen. I, th- I think it's a, there's an opportunity there. Why not? That's right. You know, so, so tell me if you were to try and summarize your fire in the belly, Jeff, in one or two words, what would they be? I would say that, um, I mean, for me, it's, it it all goes back to that passion, passion drives progress. I mean, it all goes back to that for me. It's, it's, as long as I'm passionate, I want to keep going. As long as I'm, as long as I love what I'm doing, I want to keep going. And then if there becomes a extended period of time where that passion's not there anymore, or my passion has been diverted somewhere else, then it's time for me to figure out if my business really does have value and maybe get out from underneath it and sell it, you know, and, and, and I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I don't think there's, that means you're quitting. I think that just means that if you're not passionate about what you're doing anymore, then you probably owe it to your business to get away from it. Hmm. It's also the title of your next book, I'd imagine. Passion, That's right. Passion drives progress. <laughs> passion drives progress. Uh, there you go. Yeah. So I'm going to write that down. <laughs> <laughs> Well, why not? Right. You know, that, yeah, that's right. That's the heart of what you do. That's, that's your, that's your passion. That's your fire in your belly. So that's right. Which yeah. by the way, I love that. I love your, the name of your podcast. It's just a, it's such a great, such a great name. And, and, uh, it just instantly makes you think about an entrepreneurial kind of spirit. So I, I definitely love the, definitely love the name of it. No, it's super. Thank you. Yeah. No, it's, it's listen, that's, that's what it's all about. Right. Cause we're all different, but at the same time, we're all exactly the same. Yeah. One. That's what I always wonder is like, why do so, you know, some people get up and take over the world and other people get up and turn on the TV and don't, Yeah, know? that's so right. What's the difference, right? You know, everybody's wired different and some people don't want to do what I do. Some people look at what I do and say, it's just nuts or it's, you know, it's, they wouldn't want to have that kind of load. And I completely understand, you know, and, um, there's, there's nothing wrong with either side. I don't think, I think it's just about how we're wired as humans and, 
I'm just, I'm glad to have found something that I like that I do enjoy. And I'm, I'm happy that I'm passionate about it, that I'm, you know, that I still like to go to work in the morning. You know, I like to do what I do. So, I mean, there's, I think we're all wired differently, but just being able to find out how we're wired. I think that's a big deal. Mm. No, it's a, it is a big deal, you know, and, and, but that's it. I mean, thank God we are all different because otherwise it'd be really weird. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. It'd be boring. (laughs) Tell us, Jeff, where can people reach out, learn more about you, get a copy of your book? Yeah. So you can get it on Amazon. Um, again, it's called that's it. I'm fired. Um, or you can, uh, you can also find it on my website, the push through that's the push T H R U.com. Um, all my information's on there. Uh, email and all that good stuff is on there. You know, you can find me on LinkedIn. I'm pretty active on there. I'm not really active on Facebook or Twitter or anything. I just don't really have time for those. So I just, I'm pretty much on LinkedIn only. Hmm. Um, but you can find me on my website. You can find on the push through.com. And again, that's T H R U.com. Um, and it's got all of our podcasts on there as well as, as well as the book and, and some articles and things like that. So it's, it's all, it's all right there. Wonderful. Yeah. Have you a final message for our listeners today? My, I mean, I would, I would say that if you're, if you're listening to this and you, and you, it applies to you at all, like you're stuck in your business or you're stuck, you know, just grinding every day and not really feeling like you're getting anywhere. I would encourage you to take a step back and find out, just start with one thing, start with what's, what's one thing that you can do today that would make the most change in your business and just try to change that. Don't go for any huge steps. Don't do anything crazy. Just try to find one thing that you're doing in your business that you're holding. It's holding your business back. Try to change that. And then just let that be the driver for your future success. Mm, beautiful. Beautiful. Jeff, it's been an absolute pleasure chatting to you today. Thank you so yeah. much for coming on. And, Man, uh, thanks for having me. It's great. Listen, we, we wish you all the best and until the next time. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Well, that was another great episode of Fire in the Belly. You know, this really wouldn't be possible without a great guest taking the time to share their personal journeys. And boy, boy, sometimes it is personal. It's an absolute pleasure to have that and then to hear the journeys that people have been on. We've loads more episodes coming up soon, and it's always a pleasure to have guests on. If you do happen to know anyone with true fire in their belly, please reach out to us so we can share their journey, lessons, and successes. So all that's left to say is have a great day, live with fire in your belly, and be the mightiest version of you.